grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is our privilege, our responsibility, our joy to be gathered here today as the family of the church, whether we're here in person or worshiping online. It is our privilege and responsibility and joy to worship the Lord God and to encourage each other in faith. And so let us be called together in worship as we read responsively from the 25th Psalm. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. For you are the God of my salvation. Friends, let us worship God. In John, Jesus tells his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The truth is that we can't make it alone. We need the spirit of God to guide us, and according to writer Anne Lamott, admit the three most terrible truths of our existence, that we are so ruined and so loved and in charge of so little. 
Let's go to God in confession. God of mercy and truth, we seek your forgiveness for the sinful way we live. We are unworthy to be your children, unfit to be your servants. We are burdened with memories of things undone that ought to have been done, and of things done that ought not to have been done. Bring us afresh the healing and cleansing power of your spirit, that we may lay hold of the salvation you offer and walk in newness of life to the glory and praise of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear us, O God, as we come to you in this silence, in the way that sets apart all things in our hearts that would distract us from your voice. Hear us now, God, as we come with our prayers of confession. Amen. Later in the same gospel, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Friends, we have been set free, for I declare to you in the name of our liberator, Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. of Christ be with you. you. People of God, as we prepare to greet one another, we remind you that our fifth grade and younger are excused to their Sunday school class. And now turn and greet each other with a good morning and God bless. In a world where there seems to be so much fighting, it's nice to see people standing up and hugging each other, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> we want to be sure that everybody in our church family knows about all of the opportunities for service and ministry and growth that are available through the life of this congregation. No single one of us is able to participate in everything but all of us are called to be part of something, and so listen carefully for how you might be involved in the days ahead. 
the Super Bowl is coming. And in the life of the church, super talks about things like tomato and chicken noodle and who knows what else, maybe my favorite clam chowder. Yes, New England style, thank you. (laughs) It's been a long tradition that was started by a Presbyterian youth group in the Midwest on Super Bowl weekend, the other one that's all about football, but on that weekend for the church to collect cans of soup to share with folks who need a meal. Many of you have brought your soup today. That's a wonderful thing. We would encourage you to bring your soup next Sunday as well, or if more convenient for you to be here Saturday between 10.30 and 12.30, we will have a drive-by drop-off location, particularly for those of you planning to donate a semi-load worth of soup. You can simply bring the truck, unhitch the trailer, and we will take it for there. Or, as always, if you'd prefer to give a truckload of money in some way, shape, or form, we're happy to receive that as well. It's a great opportunity for a wonderful witness of the church in this season, which has almost become another official holiday in the life of our nation, to remind folks about the work and will of God in feeding folks. Ash Wednesday is coming soon. The season of Lent is coming soon because Easter is earlier this year than usually it is. And so on Wednesday, February 14th, we will begin the season of Lent with our traditional service of repentance and forgiveness and renewal. That will be at 7 o'clock in the evening. It's one of the most beautiful services that we have here throughout the year. Now, I know that some of you are going to make a connection in your minds, and I'm saying this primarily for the men who are here. February 14th, Ash Wednesday, also is Valentine's Day. But that's okay. God will know that you're here. Bring your date, bring the one that you love, and celebrate in worship. The annual meeting of our congregation will be the last Sunday in February, as it always is. We will be talking in worship about the life of our congregation that day, and then at the end of this service, there will be a brief congregational meeting. We won't keep you much longer than the normal amount of time, but we want you to be prepared for that. The following Sunday, the first Sunday in March, we will have a new member class. Any of you who might be interested in learning about the church or thinking about being members, we'd encourage you to attend, to have lunch on us, and then to learn a little bit about the life of the church. If you're interested in being part of that experience and we do not yet have your name on the list, please speak with uh, Jan Cook today or drop her an email this week and we'll be sure to include you in the list of folks that are planning to come. Finally, I want to mention that our missions commission here that is in charge of leading our mission efforts in the church uh, has already responded to the needs that are there in some of the other communities of San Diego that have been affected by the recent floods. We have been supporting uh, the work of New Day Ministries, one of our Presbyterian ministries that's close to that region, and uh, not only with cash support, but also donations of clothing and other items that are needed. If you want to participate as part of that, we are not receiving a special offering per se, uh, but far be it from me to say that we would not receive your financial gifts if you would like to give them. Simply mark that on your envelope or on your check. In fact, offering is something that we do not only in particular times of need, but it's something that Christian folk do 
all the time because we realize that God has given us the greatest gift of all and in fact that every gift comes from Him. So now as an act of worship, as the ushers come forward and wait upon us, we will present to God our tithes and our offerings. God bless. be seated. Friends, I invite you to make a space in your heart for a quiet place, 
a place that you can listen not just to the words, but listen for the voice of God to speak to you in the words. Let's go to God in prayer. Spirit of holiness, Lord of life and God of truth, the vastness of your wisdom yawns across the heavens and reflects itself in the order of all things. Even in the place where the swirling planets play and the wild chaos appears untamed. Still, your wisdom, your design, your will, and purpose braid the cosmic pieces together with delicate threads of grace creating beauty and sacred synchronicity. What was fractured by greed and shattered by desire, you beckoned back into wholeness, and we once more feel the soothing satisfaction of belonging and oneness, of companionship, and of shared destiny. We are your people, and we belong in life and in death to you. We are one people, your children, and we belong in life and in death to this magnificent enterprise of your calling. You have called us to be witnesses to your truth, peacemakers in times of conflict and war, caretakers of the lost and needy, messengers of the good and the perfect news, servants to the least, advocates of the poor, protectors of the innocent and voices for the silenced. You lead us in green pastures and still waters, and you also lead us into the cracks and the shadows to point the way towards the light. You, O oh God, equip us with the truth of your promises and the steadfast faithfulness of your love and commitment to our safe passage home to you. Great God and beautiful Savior, we live to live for you, and we pray that our efforts are pleasing to you. We pray that our intentions bring glory and joy to your name. And we recognize that even in our efforts and with our intentions, we know that it is your spirit that moves us and compels us and allows us to be worthy of this divine kinship. You, O oh Lord, are the only truth on which we stand. And so we stand there boldly with one voice lifted up the prayer that your son taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
reading from the script from the gospel according to John. Then the soldiers and Pharisees took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, 
we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We're not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? For this I was born. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. The word of the Lord. There is a famous parable, if you will, that had its origins at least a thousand years ago in the subcontinent of India. A parable about some blind men and an elephant. How many of you know the parable that I'm talking about? You're better off than the nine o'clock crowd. That's all I'm going to say. Sometimes they're better than you. Don't get all proud and huffy. <laughs> you know the way the story goes. A, a group of blind folks are brought to an elephant, and they've never seen an elephant before. And so each one of them steps forward and, in the way of the blind, reaches out to touch the elephant and feel whatever portion of the element they can touch and, and feel. And, and they all describe the elephant, of course, in... in what they see with their hands is an elephant. One says, well, the elephant is like a trunk or a tail or the belly or whatever. You know the way that story, that, the way that story goes. Of course, uh, the point of the parable is pretty simple, and it is that you perceive the truth based on what you perceive, what you see from the part of the whole that you are able to get your arms wrapped around, so to speak. There's actually a corollary parable that I did not know about until yesterday. The corollary parable is about the blind elephants 
and the man. So a group of blind elephants were brought to a man, and the first elephant stepped forward and touched the man for a few moments and then stepped back and proclaimed that the man was flat. Okay, I know Randy got it. How many of the rest of you got it? This is a quintessential dad joke, Juan. I'm just handing it over to you. All the other elephants came forward and felt the man, and they also said, the man is flat. Okay, is there anybody here who has not yet gotten this joke? The elephant stepped on the man and squashed him, okay? He's flat. Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. That's one of the riskiest stories that I've ever told from a pulpit, I tell you. <laughs> well, so far in the year 2024, every single Sunday in 2024, all four of them, we have been looking at some big things, not elephants, but things even bigger than that. We've been looking at the pillars of life, those things that are foundational to everything else. We have talked about love. We've talked about service. We've talked about hope. We've talked about humility. And today, we want to talk about the truth. What is truth? Pilate's question to Jesus. Before we get to Jesus and Pilate, I think it's always helpful for us to think a little bit with each other about what we know about truth. What can we say about truth? Well, here's a few things that I would say about truth, and perhaps you'll agree with me. Number one, we need to know the truth. I don't think I've ever met a person who didn't in some way, shape, or form want to know the truth. We need to know the truth. We need to know if we open the door, whether or not behind the door it is true that there's a man-eating tiger ready to devour us. We need to know the truth. If we don't, it can be dangerous. We can also say that the truth can be very difficult to discern. It can be difficult to find, difficult to discover. There was a time in the world, and apparently for some people that time still exists, when we believed that the earth was flat. Somewhere back in history, somebody had to have the courage to sail to the horizon to discover whether or not we would fall off the edge. It takes work, it takes research, it takes commitment, it takes a risk sometimes to learn the truth. The truth can be very complex. It's not always so simple. Just ask the blind folks who were asked to look at the elephant. 
The truth can be complex. Sometimes more than one thing can be true at the same time. Some people would go so far as to say that there really is, therefore, no such thing as truth. There is only what you perceive to be the truth or what I perceive to be the truth. And I understand that perspective that it's important for all of us to share what we think is true, but then also listen to what others say as true. But at some point, at some point there actually is an elephant there. It's not a giraffe. There is such a thing as truth and falsehood. And anyone who would say to you that there is no such thing as truth, I think, is not telling the truth. Okay? Now, let's also say this, that human beings have a love-hate relationship with truth. Yes, every one of us wants to know the truth. Is the tiger behind the door or not? Are we going to fall off the edge of the planet or not? And every single one of us sitting here right now or listening in would say, yes, I'm all for the truth. And that's true except for when it's not. Would you agree with me there? We have a love-hate relationship with the truth. We love the truth as long as it's truth about you, but I don't always love the truth when it's true about me. All I have to do is look in a mirror or stand on a scale or ask one of my enemies to tell me the truth. We are very, very fond of telling part of the truth part of the time, not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The truth we want to tell, the truth that we want to accept is the truth that's convenient for us, that serves our purposes. And truth be told, I happen to know this about you, (laughs) you have lied. Yes, even bases have lied. We have all lied We've lied to other people, we've lied to our parents, we lie to ourselves. We have a love-hate relationship with the truth because we want to hide our mistakes, we want to cover up our shame, we want to organize the world in a way that benefits us, and sometimes the truth is inconvenient. It does not benefit us. And so truth is always under attack. Truth is always there but it's always susceptible to the lies that we would tell. There's a great deal of concern in our society today about truth. We're worried about artificial intelligence for the ways in which it can create something out of nothing and convince us that it's true that the voice we're hearing on the telephone asking us for money, that the face we see in the picture that comes across our phone, that that's a true and real thing. We're worried about how easy it is to manipulate the media. We're worried about deep fakes. The surface fakes are easy enough for us to ferret out, aren't they? But the deep 
fakes, the ones that seem so very, very real. That's another story entirely. There are some people today who think that our societies are much more susceptible to lies than we ever have been before. And that could be the case, although I would propose to you that society, human beings, have lied to each other from the very beginning. How did you know, for, very, for instance, a thousand years ago, when somebody walked into town or rode into town and said, let me tell you what's happening in the next town over, how did you know they were telling the truth or not? You didn't. You didn't. And so truth is always in trouble, if you will. What is truth? As always, I like to think deeply about the meaning of these words that we use so that we get an idea of what we're talking about before we go to the Scriptures. Truth is that which is real, that which is accurate, that which is honest. Truth is that which is straight and strong or loyal and lasting. Truth is in accordance with fact or reality. That's why truth is important to us. We want to know the facts. We want to know reality, unless we're sitting in the doctor's office and wondering and worrying, and then sometimes we don't want to know. Well, truth is a big deal. Truth always has been a big deal. Truth always will be a big deal. Consider this. Of the ten words that God chose to speak to Moses to relay to the people of Israel that were waiting down at the base of Mount Sinai, of those ten words, at least one of them was about truth. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Putting that in the positive, you shall tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Think about this in our very own Declaration of Independence that we celebrate in this country. How does it begin? We hold these truths to be self-evident. And everything we're going to say about the organization of this new United States of America is going to be based according to this version of the truth. Jesus, Jesus talked about truth all the time. You shall know the truth then the truth shall set you free. Well, what is the truth? What's it all about? What is the deepest truth? What is the most important truth? What is the truth about us, about God, about the very foundations of reality itself? All of those questions came into play as Jesus was taken before Pontius Pilate the Roman governor of Judea. The story is told in the context of a trial. What is a trial about? A trial is about trying to get to the truth. This particular trial of Jesus arises because some of the religious leaders of Israel have said Jesus is someone who is dangerous, dangerous to us, dangerous to the Romans. In fact, Pilate, he's so dangerous to the Romans that you had better try him and convict him and execute him. And so there's Pilate. Sometimes we see Pilate with a great deal of sympathy. What in the world is Pilate supposed to do? 
Sometimes we look at Pilate with a great deal of anger. Pilate, you didn't do the right thing. But think about Pilate's context. There he is, the Roman governor in charge of making sure that everything is peaceful and calm so that the taxes can be collected and the Roman Empire can continue on unimpeded. There is Pilate in a conversation with Jesus. Jesus, your own people say that you're the king of the Jews. Are you or are you not? Have you noticed how Jesus takes that question and doesn't exactly answer that question, but he answers a much deeper question (laughs) the one that Pilate could have been asking and should have been asking, but probably didn't know enough to ask. Jesus says, well, you say that I'm the king of the Jews, but let me tell you, I am the king of a kingdom that's unlike any other kingdom you have ever conceived. I am here as the king to testify to the truth, to testify to the truth about this kingdom. Jesus entire life, Jesus' entire reason for coming to be among us, to be God with us, was to live the truth, to reveal the truth, to teach the truth, and then finally, especially after this encounter with Pilate, to uphold the truth. In this trial, there is someone else who appears briefly, someone else who admittedly is a revolutionary, a a terrorist, a thief, a radical, someone who's dangerous to the Roman Empire, Barabbas. Barabbas is let go, scot-free. Jesus, the innocent one, is convicted. If there ever were a perversion and twisting of what is true, of what is just, of what is right, there it is. In the midst of this conversation then, Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? Some people see that as a very innocent question. Pilate simply to saying to Jesus, tell me what's true. Other people see a great deal of cynicism in Pilate's question. What is truth? There is no such thing as truth, Jesus. The commentator Gerald Sloyan says that truth is all that Pilate and the world which he inhabits is not. And then another commentator, Bruce Milne, says that Pilate's question is asked from a lifetime's struggle as a professional politician steeped in the daily compromises, the prudential balancing of forces, the application of ruthless power, that half-light world of grays and polka dots where people grope wearily for truth and the soul shrivels and dies. It's all too easy for us to say Pilate was just a politician. Of course he didn't know anything about the truth. But aren't we all? How many of us, if not all of us, are familiar with a world in which sometimes it's difficult to see the truth, to know the truth, to live by the truth, to act on the truth, especially when it does not fit our purposes? But then there's Jesus. 
I have come to testify to the truth, Jesus says. And what is the truth? Pilate does not, or, uh, Jesus does not give a, a long explanation to Pilate here. There's no time for that. You have to look at the whole story of Jesus to understand the truth that Jesus was talking about, the truth that Jesus was modeling. And what is that truth? The truth is, Pilate and all the rest of you, there is a God. There is one God. This God is all-powerful, all-knowing. This God is a loving God who has a plan and purpose in mind for His whole creation, to bless His whole creation with His presence and to bless His whole creation with love, with justice, with peace, with goodness, with kindness, with thriving in a beautiful life. But that truth is hidden from us because we chose to hide and still do. We choose to hide from God. That day, you might say that truth lost. Jesus was tried, convicted, and executed. But three days later, truth reared its beautiful head as the empty grave was discovered. Truth was proven to be right and strong and good. There is a God above us all who made us all, who loves us all, who has revealed his will, who calls us to live by the truth that we know and see in Jesus, who calls us to know that the world works only when we live by this truth. Jesus calls each one of us to admit the untruth that is in us and then to present ourselves to him so that what is not true in us can be cleansed, forgiven, healed, and renewed and then to go out and live by that truth in the world and we live it starting now. We remember these truths about Jesus and we celebrate these truths about Jesus as we come to this table this table reminds us that the lies and falsehoods of the world killed Jesus. They took away the life of his body that he laid down for us. They spilled his blood that he gave for us. And because Jesus did these things, we realize the price of lies, the price of falsehood, the cost of that which is not true, but then we also celebrate that God is victorious over even the lies, the falsehoods. And so we celebrate in this table. Ministering in Jesus' name, I invite you to come to this table. You need not be a member of this congregation. We ask only that you be someone who loves Jesus and wants to follow Jesus. We will come forward and take this communion by the ancient process of intinction. You will be invited to leave your seats to come down one of the aisles to take a piece of the bread to dip it lightly in the cup and then to return to your seats. If you are unable to come forward, simply indicate such to the elders who are there among you and we will be happy to come and serve you this communion meal. We ask as you come that you come to the first available station and to be careful as you're turning around to walk out that you don't run over somebody. 
That's not a loving thing to do. What can I say? <laughs> Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. On the very night of his betrayal, our Lord took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the truth of the saving death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Come, enjoy the feast of our Lord.
Please pray with me. We give you thanks and praise, O God, that you have fed us with your mercy and poured out your spirit, the spirit of truth, in this place this morning. Continue to nourish and fill us each day that we may live as your beloved people. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.
George Orwell once wrote that in a world of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. I don't know, nor do you, nor will anyone ever know, whether Pontius Pilate and the rest of the world of his day understood the revolution that was beginning as Jesus reintroduced the kingdom of God into the world. But indeed, living by the truth of the kingdom and following the king of truth means that you and I love God, invite others to love God, welcome others into the love of God, It means that you and I revolt against anything that is in us that is not true and right and just and good. It means that we live in such a way that welcomes everyone into the justice and beauty and blessed fellowship of the people of God. Living as a revolutionary is an act that usually results in people wondering about us. But some don't because they know the kingdom too. They know the king. Jesus says that those who live by the truth are those who have heard my voice. So let us hear the voice of Jesus calling us into a life out in his world of welcoming all into the love of the Savior. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us then, today and always. Let God's people say together so that God can hear it. Amen. Amen.